Here's the thing. I don't know much about anything, but I know this. And I'm not any sort of a detective. I'm not an attorney. I'm none of those things. I'm simply Jake Query radio host. But I am fairly certain that we can now definitively say that Indiana University uses AT&T for their cell service. And they were a half a day ahead of the times because nothing last night for them was connecting. They were completely out of service and nobody knew what was going on. And that was embarrassing against Nebraska at home. It was embarrassing. It was not just embarrassing because Indiana went into the game at 14-11 and 11 and 6-8 and eight in the Big Ten and in need of doing anything they could to salvage the season. It was embarrassing because the things that we have been preaching all season long uh, as areas of concern only move backwards. Four of 21 from three-point range. 14 of 24 from the free throw line. Let me tell you what happened last night early in the second half of that game, Jimmy. Did you watch the game? Regrettably, I did because I picked Nebraska at the end of the show yesterday. But I did watch it. I would have watched it anyway. Eddie, did you watch the game? Unfortunately. Okay. An interesting thing happened for me last night. I'm watching the game, and they're down 20 at the half. And I thought, okay. I could pile on now, but let's give this a half to see if Indiana is going to have some life in itself. And then they got down, they got it, they they actually made a run, got it close, and then boom, Nebraska pulls away. And I thought, enough. So I turned on flipping the channels and found Shawshank Redemption. Which is a theme on this show because Eddie and Jimmy have not seen Shawshank Redemption. So I will speak to it fairly vague, even though 98% of our audience has probably seen it and will know what I'm talking about. Thanks for the invite. Gosh. You were watching the game because you had money on it. Shawshank Redemption <laughs> is an interesting story because it was based on a book by Stephen King, a short story actually. And while you're watching it, you the entire time are under the awareness and assumption that it is a fictional story. But it may not be. Because Shawshank Redemption might actually be loosely based upon a story, biblically speaking, that some may say is fiction, some may say is fact. But depending on which spectrum you're looking through, there are different ways in which you can interpret the realities, the lessons, or the foreshadowing of Shawshank Redemption. But one of the key lines in the movie is, hope is a good thing, perhaps the best of things. And as I was watching Indiana last night, before I turned over to Shawshank Redemption, it dawned on me that Indiana basketball is almost like a fictional story because you're watching it and you're thinking to yourself, there isn't really a reality where a team representing Indiana University can shoot literally four of 21 from three-point range and let a group of players from a football school come out and absolutely school them in precision, beat them in terms of the way they move the basketball around, you know, beat them in terms of 
committing defensively, every area, and better guard play, and better guard play with not a player from Southern Indiana, but not even from you know, I mean, going internationally to get a player to come to Nebraska that would and is a really, really, really good player that outplays the guards for Indiana, which Indiana has none essentially. That seems like a fictional story, except for that realistically, it's actually based a little bit on the foundation of what we have already seen this year, and now we can say it as fact. But in terms of hope for Indiana basketball fans, hope is a good thing, perhaps the best of things. And for the last decade and a half, it's really all that Indiana has had, hope. I hope that the movement is what I think it can be except for half the players ended up transferring I hope that Cody Zeller stays more than two years and that his commitment that we all want Gaga over shows to be a four-year project that brings in projects the wrong word a four-year process that brings in elite players around him that want to play with Cody Zeller I hope that Archie Miller is able to do what he did at Dayton. I hope that Mike Woodson is able to use his NBA ties to get great players to Indiana. I hope that McKenzie Mbako shows why he was a commitment to Duke. I hope that Khalil Ware finds the energy he didn't have at Oregon. Guess what? All of that is still the best thing, but none of it is prevalent now in Indiana because there's no hope. There's not. I'm sorry to break it to you. There's no hope. There is no hope. Yesterday... The prize recruit that Indiana went all in on. All in on. The prize recruit announced he's going to Maryland. And Indiana's left with what? A player for next year coming in? And they're probably going to have a defection of players going out? Mike Woodson has a future that has about as much stability and certainty to it as Dogecoin. You think that's not being recruited against? You think coaches aren't going into a kid and saying, look, I know Indiana's on your short list, but Mike Woodson's 66 years old, and he himself was talking about how some coaches make it to 70. Well, he'll be 70 by the time you graduate. You think he's going to be there? Or would you rather come somewhere where you can have a coach for four years that you get to know? The hope is almost non-existent, and it's, it's, if it is existent at all, it's up and vanishing, just like well, I shouldn't say it because you guys haven't seen the movie. But it's a real, real, real bad situation for Indiana. And, and quite frankly, it's one that they created themselves. The university created it with bad hires. The board of trustees created it by going with a coach that a lot of people thought was kind of an 11th hour desperation heave. And the coach himself has created it. Because Mike Woodson has poorly constructed a roster. He has not developed fundamentals. There are a couple of guys on the team. Like I said, Khalil Ware has been a good player for them, and I'll give him credit. He's played hard, and Mike Woodson's tapped into that. It's Not every area of Mike Woodson is void, but the ones that are the most important are. There's no identity. There's no unity. There's no fundamental. And there's no hope. None. What's the direction? And somebody asked me last night on Twitter, it was a, or X or whatever the hell it's called now, Tony sent me a thing and he's like, your business is crazy. Why do you guys talk so much about IU? Because people care, honestly. I get it. We should be talking more about Purdue. 
I actually thought to myself, are we wasting our time by talking about Indiana? But people care. People are passionate about it. One guy said, look, we just need to do a group therapy session. And I think that's great. The best news for Indiana, Jimmy, the best news for Indiana is that if we open the phone lines right now for Indiana people to call in and complain, is that one-third of them can't do it. That's the best news for Indiana. The best thing to happen to Indiana today is the fact that one-third of their fans can't call people and tell them how pissed off they are. Right? Yeah, it's the one time that a cellular outage that, ooh, maybe mine's fixed. I have a bar now. That's very exciting. Uh, That's one area of the conversation right now where, yes, you're right, AT&T subscriber is dealing with an outage today. Look, there's a couple different things. I I don't know, Jake, if you want to categorize me as this, you can. I don't know if I've necessarily been the last couple of times we've had this conversation, which, regrettably, has been far too much for any program, let alone one like Indiana basketball. This conversation of their... The, the level of apathy with the program, the struggles that are present, the lack of direction, they all matter. They're all significant. But I've definitely been, of the two of us, more on the side of it's year two and a half, and coaches deserve a little bit of time to develop things and blah, blah, blah. That's what I've tried to preach with Indiana basketball. I've got to be honest with you, and there's a level of fan base that I speak to here that is prevalent amongst IU fans. I'm getting closer and closer to being apathetic about IU basketball. You're way late to the party. I know, but but you still care because you wouldn't take time to give a voice to IU fans. I'm at a point where, oh, they lost to Nebraska. I told you that was going to happen yesterday. Like it, it. There's no, there's no life preserver that can happen for them this season. It's done. It's finished. But why there's annoyance with my apathy is I want Mike Woodson to make good. I think a lot of people that care about IU basketball want him to make good, but boy, is he making it difficult to try to go to bat for him because it's not an issue of direction as much as it is. I would love a little bit of backbone and a little bit of spine and a little bit of caring and effort aside from a 17-2 to two run or whatever it was in the second half that prevented the inevitable from happening, which was a blowout to the Cornhuskers. It's frustrating, it's sickening, it's annoying, but like, there's no... <laughs> He's right. They're not going to do anything. They're they, not going to do any. They're not going to do anything this year. He's still going to be there next year. They've shown no indication that they would be willing to press the eject button and move on. They probably should but they're not going to do it. Certainly not this year. So buckle up, strap in, hope they figure out a way to not fully crash the plane in the 2023-2024 season, and maybe something changes next year. But there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's not. When Tom Crean took over the Indiana basketball program, Indiana was literally like eight guys from the hyper and two guys that probably could have been playing Low Division One, And you know what? Everybody knew it. Everybody knew that they were starting from the bottom. They were going to win eight games. They were going to lose. They were going to win a game in the Big Ten, perhaps. Everybody knew it. And everybody was on board with it, and everybody was cool with it, because there was hope. There was direction. And at the end of the Tom Crean era... 
Indiana was playing flat. Indiana was getting beaten because people had kind of figured out what what sort of sets they run and they didn't make great adjustments. And there was a turnover of roster that became so difficult to contend with that all of a sudden the hope was gone. Not entirely, but the hope was gone. But even still, even at the end of the Tom Crean era, era, they were having seasons where they were getting into the tournament. I know the last few years, no, but but you get what I'm saying. This team right now, I'm not talking about in record. This team right now is closer to the early Tom Crean team than the late. Because the early Tom Crean team, actually, from a, from a record standpoint, this one's better, obviously. The early Tom Crean team, at least, was a bunch of guys that looked like they wanted to play. So I, I can't even say that, actually. I'm going to contradict myself because the early Tom Crean teams, at least you had hope. But you knew going into games you weren't going to win. But it was guys that looked like they wanted to play for Indiana and that were trying to provide foundation and hope. This group looks like guys that are totally checked out, that are playing individually, and that are looking entirely not at Indiana, but how Indiana – these people want – the best thing I can say about – this Indiana team and Shawshank Redemption is every player is Andy Dufresne. They're doing everything they can to plot individually without anybody knowing exactly how they're going to get the hell out. Best thing I can tell you about this team, there's five games left and then one game in the Big Ten tournament. You're right. That's your hope. Your hope is that, guess what? Like, the women's team's playing well, right? There's your hope. Joe Hillman's going to join us on the program at 1230. We're going to talk about the situation with Indiana. Tony East talking about the Pacers back in action tonight, taking on the Detroit Pistons at 1 o'clock. Bruce Weber from the Big Ten Network. Bruce Weber looked incredulous last night at halftime. I saw him, and he was just sitting there. Rafael Davis is talking, and Bruce Weber is thinking to himself, like, what am I witnessing? And then Robbie Hubble going to talk to us at 245 today. So we got a loaded show lined up. Group therapy as well. We'll start with Luke. Luke, what's going on? Uh, well, pretty disgusted at the moment. I was actually at the game last night, and to be honest, usually I'm all against booing players and teams, but, you know, that team, and more importantly, that coaching staff deserved every single boo that came out of Assembly Hall last night. And I felt bad for Khalil Ware, because you could tell he was very distraught after he missed a couple in a row, put his hand on his knees. I think the fans were more so saying, hey, this is not on you, this is more on Woodson, because in my opinion... That's something that you can coach. Get their butt on the line till the lights turn out and make your freaking free throws. It's that simple. That's the easiest thing that could be coached, and we're not doing that. And there's zero life with this team. It's like the Sopranos uh, still quote. Once I was out, put me back in. We got a little run. So, Last night, did you start hearing Don't Stop Believing" at the very end of the game, basically, because it faded to black and you were left wondering what in the hell just happened? I heard every analogy you can think of in terms of a musical lyric. I mean, I was very contemplating, very much so contemplating leaving at half, like a majority of other people, because <laughs> it was pathetic. Luke, how I long mean, have you, are you a season ticket holder? No, I'm not, but our family is. Okay. Do you agree with me? Okay, let me just – I shouldn't say it that way. I'm not trying to lead the witness here. Uh, you have hope sure. or don't have hope? I don't have hope until there's a change. I think as much as Mike has 
tried to do well in the program, I think a strategic direction needs to be altered. And I was fine with bringing in the, you know, the golden era of everyone, but at some point, you know, water's going to hit its level. And even if it's a negative impact, I mean, I just, I don't have a lot of hope, especially for this season, this season's done. And it's going to deter future recruits from coming to Indiana. All right, Luke, I appreciate it. And I don't disagree at all. Steve is up next. This season's dead. Let's clarify that. It's been dead oh, for, it's, for yes. a month and a half, but yes. Steve, Jake. what's up? Not too much, Jake. At your second most important location in Indianapolis uh, today for some uh, heart testing. Um, You're the man, Steve. That's what you got to do. Get that heart scan. Make sure everything's good. I'm sure you're good that, to that, go, but very that, much appreciated. That, right. But, uh, you know, I think back to the past quarter century of IU basketball. And it's quite the, quite the uh, legacy of a quarter century of IU basketball. And I think about the one coach that, of all the coaches that IU has had in the quarter century, the one coach that has achieved success has been Kelvin Sampson. And what if the Hoosiers would have tolerated Kelvin, um, Kelvin Sampson, held their nose, where would the Hoosiers be today? Here's the thing, Steve. I, I agree. We talked about it yesterday. Problem with that, and best of luck with the heart, by the way, um, see you in May. The, the, the problem with that, comment is that yes indiana parted ways with kelvin sampson but so too did the ncaa kelvin sampson would not have been eligible to coach because he was given a show cause penalty by the ncaa meaning that he had to show you know the the call the the to get back into the NCAA. he basically had to petition to the ncaa easiest way to say it all right last one real quick tony tony what's hey. up Hey, man, I, I agree with everything you're saying, but you know what? And maybe IU should get rid of Mike Dave, Mike Mike uh, Woodson. But you know what? I just get tired of hearing the same stuff every after every game. You, you've already said it. We know, you know, they want success at IU. And if you don't produce, then you got to go. I like Mike Woodson, but hey, man, if, he, if he's not going to get it done, he got to go. Tony, here's you know, my thing. Here's my thing. I, I I agree with what you're saying. And believe you me, and I know I don't know that you're speaking to me directly or just kind of generically in terms of like we're tired of hearing the same thing after every game. Uh, believe me, I'm tired of having to say it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I, Tony, I totally understand where you're coming from. And I like, listen, I don't know Mike Woodson. Do you know Woodson yeah. at all, Tony? Are you from the area? Not, I'm from Indianapolis and I, and I know people that know him. But and I ain't too far uh, past the time that he played at IU. But I'm just saying, you know, I mean, if if he the the problems that they have, it persists after every game. You know, don't don't get upset because it's still there because it apparently is not going nowhere this year. You know, we can the best we can do is hope for the best of next year. But you know, and if he gets, if he's not going to do it, hey, maybe they should let him go. Apparently, Quinn's not going to do that. You are Hello. Tony. I want you to do me a favor, Tony. <clears throat> yeah. I want you to repeat that last line you just said. Apparently, not gonna let him go nowhere. Not right now. Tony, do you eat breakfast cereal? No. Have you ever had Frosted Flakes? I have. Because Tony, your comment right there is great, right? Because you're you're yeah. right on, Tony. You are right on. Yeah. And, and listen, right, and I have nothing against. Thanks, Tony. I have. I don't know Mike Woodson. I have no reason to believe anything other than Mike Woodson's a good guy. I, I don't know him. I, I don't – I shouldn't say that. I, I, I peripherally know Quinn Buckner. 
my dealings with Quinn Buckner have been just fine. I, I don't have – it would be disingenuous and secondhand of me to say comments about Quinn Buckner in terms of who he is as a guy. I don't. He's always been fine to me. But I do think that Mike Woodson's job security is probably pretty solid with Quinn Buckner being the on the board of trustees and the head of the board of trustees. I mean, that that's the reality of it. I think Tony is exactly correct right there. And and I think Scott Dolson's in a tough spot, the athletic director, because if you're Scott Dolson and you know that your fan base is growing disenfranchised and you know that theoretically it is labeled on paper that Mike Woodson was your first big hire, but yet was it? I think at the time, it's very easy for us to go back and look at the Mike Woodson hire and say, what were they doing? But at the time, it was pretty praised. It was a little outside the box, and people were like, I like this. I like it. But, Jimmy, the reality is I think most people, when Mike Woodson was hired, even those that might have been the most ardent supporters of it, were doing so because they were under the assumption that it was a transitional hire, that it was a guy to keep things kind of afloat and get it pointed in the right direction and build the brand up a little bit before you could find the 25-year guy that you were looking for. Yes, and it was somewhat of an overcorrection, as we pointed out earlier this week, because (laughs) Tom Crean I always viewed as, whether you like this analogy or not, as the guy that was supposed to take you all the way to the threshold of the promised land, but he wasn't going to cross. He wasn't going to cross it. He wasn't the guy to take you to the next step. Because Tom Crean, as you mentioned, and you outlined (laughs) the struggles of those teams that were dealing with Calvin Sampson penalties and how you at least saw direction because you knew it was going to take some time and it was honest and transparent with what was going to have to happen to resurrect IU basketball. And Tom Crean most definitely brought IU out of the depths of hell and back into at least the opportunity to build forward and, in theory, build back what they once were. But then they go and they hire Archie Miller, as we've outlined, and we all know how that went. No NCAA tournament appearances, just a debacle almost on a nightly basis. And the calls amongst the alumni, amongst former players, is an Indiana guy is who can fix this. And that's the direction they need to go. And they overcorrected. They exclusively focused on that sole spot. And they went with Mike Woodson. And he's ultimately going to get a fourth year. So if you're looking for hope, Jake, and I get it, we're grasping at straws. But maybe, just maybe, I don't have evidence to say yes, this is why. But maybe it's a down year. And maybe this isn't the expectation moving forward. Maybe the expectation moving forward will be hovering around the Big Ten and being a tournament team. But You're not going to see that light at the end of the tunnel this year because they are a bad, imperfect, flawed team that at its worst point, which I don't think we've seen yet because it's a bottomless pit of despair this season, is a no-effort, no-show group that will give you a rally late in the second half every now and again only to lose the teams that anybody you would have asked of yesteryear would have scoffed at and laughed in your face to even think it was possible, let alone at home. Earlier today, I got a text. Excuse me. Joe Hillman texted me and said, you know what, Jake? I'll speak the truth about Indiana, and I'll tell you what's going on. I said, hallelujah. How about at 1230 today? He said, deal. So that's what we're going to do next. Yeah, Indiana was pretty bad last night, no doubt about it. Down 20 to Nebraska. And, and listen, credit to Fred Hoiberg's group. I mean, Nebraska's got a nice team. That was their first win on the road in the Big Ten. 
and they did it in emphatic fashion. But they've got good guards. They they win open. They shoot from the outside well. They move the ball around, and they handed it to Indiana last night. So the Hoosiers now sitting there wondering what the year, where it has gone, and where they go from here. Joining us now, a guy that has played kind of on both ends of the spectrum for Indiana basketball teams in terms of those seasons that were frustrating and those that were magical. Joe Hillman joins us, who of course played for the Hoosiers left in 1989 and joins us on the program. Joe, how are you? Good, Jake. What's new, bud? Oh, you know what? What's new is I never thought... bad. (laughs) I can't believe you said that was pretty bad last night. That was embarrassing. It's disgusting to watch. And how else do you want me to put it? I mean... It, pretty bad. We're horrible. You're down 22 in the first half at home. I mean, we're not talking on the road. We're talking about at home. I mean, it's just it, it, it is so hard to watch, and it's just not good. Joe, let's begin with this. You know, I know you watch Indiana, and it is frustrating. And, and I know that you know times change. We could be the two old guys from the Muppet Show here if we want to. But in terms of this team, when you look. What is, they do have talented individual players. Oh. What's missing? Well, I, again, I'm not down there, so I'll preface all this. I don't go to practice. I, I, I'm not there. There is zero accountability to any person on that team. There's just zero. I mean, how? I'll just give you an example. I sat at home with my daughter and watched the Moorhead State game after they almost beat Kansas. They lose to Kansas. And I, you should have lost that game because uh, only because Moorhead State fell apart. We go and and our starters in that game were so bad. We're going to play North Alabama in two or three nights later, and yet we come out and play North Alabama, and the same five guys are rolling out there. How are you not sitting guys down and saying, you know what, we're going to give somebody else a try? We just roll the same guys out there all the time. I mean, there's no accountability whatsoever for anybody's play or actions or whatnot. It, it, and that, that I thought Mike Woodson for sure would bring some of that back. Like, hey, look, if you don't play well, you're going to sit. We're going to let other guys play. And, you know, that, that that's the stuff that I just – I don't understand. I, that That is bewilderment to me. Um, on how we don't demand more out of our guys. And it's – but that's me being old school. Joe, is it possible that there – and I know this is going to sound crazy. I'm almost embarrassed to say this because it sounds so absurd. But what the hell? This whole thing's absurd, right? (laughs) You know? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Is it possible that Indiana – I'm preparing myself to get killed for this statement. Is it possible that Indiana has guys that are on the floor getting minutes almost from an obligatory standpoint because of the NIL investment that went to that player? Oh, God. I mean, you would hope not, but I I wouldn't shock. I mean, who knows? Um, I mean, the whole college college atmosphere has been ruined by NIL and the transfer portal. The transfer portal might be the absolute worst thing that's ever occurred because now you've just given guys the ability to leave if, if oh, I didn't play 30 minutes a game and as a freshman, I'm out of here. Uh, but it's also on the reverse. It's given coaches to say, this guy, forget it, I'm done with him. We made a mistake. 
And, and, that, and that's not – the transfer portal, the transfer deal was not supposed to be that you don't like that you're not playing enough or whatnot. If a coach leaves, I get it. But there's no – there is no development of players anymore from freshman to sophomore to junior to senior. I mean, if, if – when I went to Indiana, I would have been – with the transfer portal, they would have kicked me off after my freshman year more than likely. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just – there's no development anymore. And now you throw in the NIL where it's now free agency. It, it, it is free agency at, at a professional level where it's one-year deals and you're just going to the highest bidder every single time. The NIL was never meant to be to pay players to play. It was supposed to be you can go out and get a deal or they sell your jersey or they want to use you in some advertisement, you can get paid for that. It was never to say, here's my hand, give it to me. It's crazy how now college basketball and college football is completely out of control with this. And I would hope that that's not the case, Jake. But, you know, I used to say this all the time. What what was uh, Nick Saban now? This this was the guy I used. I used Nick Saban. I said, Nick Saban sits there, quarterback, that's getting a million dollars a year, and the booster comes up and says, hey, either you put that guy back in or I'm not paying the wide receiver or the running backs any more money. So who's in control now? Right. I mean, that, that, that you want to talk about old time, go back and watch blue chips because blue chips is what's going on right now. Guys are just getting paid to play and Indiana has good talent. Don't tell me that Renew's not a good college player. Where's a very skilled player. This Mbaka's very, very good. Okay, those guys can play, and I, and I keep hearing all this stuff about we don't have guards, we don't have this. Oh, Johnson's been hurt, blah blah. We weren't winning games with Johnson was playing anyways, so I don't want to hear that anymore. And you know what you do when you can't shoot? You don't shoot. Just because you're open doesn't mean you jack it up. Galloway is not a good shooter. He shouldn't be shooting threes. But you know what Galloway's good at? He's good at getting the ball to hoop. He's good at making plays on the go. So why not do that? Are they why schematically do we run an offense? Joe, are they schematically why? coming up with ways to take advantage of each player's no, strengths and not. limiting their weaknesses? We are absolutely not doing that because I'll give you a perfect example. Why are we running high pick and roll with where at the top of the key? At the top of the key, where where's skilled is all get out. He can get around people. He why are we getting him the ball every single time? Why are we not running a little down pick and having Mbako come off a tight cut to the elbow? Get, the guy's fantastic at slashing through and creating a little 8- to 10-foot shot or even taking a Euro step and getting the ball in the basket. But we run none of that. And so, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to watch, and it is hard to watch. And what's really hard to watch, Jake, Last two home games, we've been down 20 points to Northwestern and Nebraska. We are becoming Northwestern in the 1980s. Northwestern used to be a game at home where it was clear the bench, everybody was going to play. Now we're Northwestern. That's how I feel. We, we, we don't have one guy on the court in the last two games, down 20, both games, at home, grabbing somebody and saying, what the F are we doing? Let's go. It looks like guys have just completely tuned everybody out. And they're just out there 
playing playing basketball because that's how we value the ball. We there's it just it doesn't matter. It's it's hard to watch and it's sad. And I don't know what the answers are. Joe Hillman is our guest, the former Indiana guard. Joe, let's go back to when Mike Woodson arrived. And I'm assuming that I know this answer, but but I don't know. Do, do you know or what's your relationship been historically, current day, whatever it might be, with Mike Woodson? Oh, I've known Mike for for a long time. Woody's a great guy, and I've always said, I've always said Woody is probably the most underrated player in Indiana because nobody ever talks about Mike Woodson's one of the top three or four. You know, he's in the top five for sure of Indiana players of all time history. But nobody ever talks about him. He's a great guy, had a great NBA career, coached a long time in the NBA. You know, I don't know. You well, know, the last couple of years, everybody was okay with it, you know. But where do we go now? I mean, it. it do you, I mean, do you think – I could seriously see us losing the next six or seven games. Totally I, agree. I don't, I don't know if we'll win a game. Well, the reason um, I ask, because when he was hired, and you tell me if you disagree with this, Joe Hillman, but when, when Mike Woodson was hired, seemingly, it was it was kind of an outside-the-box hire, but not totally outside the box for all the reasons everybody knows. I mean, he coached in the NBA, and he you know he, he was, an, as you mentioned, an IU legacy and an IU great. And like I said, I don't know him, but I, but I assume a good guy. I know people that know him that tell me he's a good guy. And, and so I think it was refreshing to a lot of people because the thought was – that it was going to be like, you know, maybe a three- to four-year get things going in the right direction and then hand it off to the young gun that's going to be there hopefully for, you know, 20 years. And now it's like, well, I don't know where they are. Have they kind of pigeonholed themselves here? Yeah, I, I, that, that is such a great thought because that, that I was thrilled that it was an IU guy. Absolutely thrilled because I've been saying that, hey, look, there's it's just different. And unless you've been through it all, you just don't know what the alumni, what the Hoosier Nation. I mean, it's a unique place. It was always, to me, when Bob Knight coached it, and I heard this all the time, was, oh, my gosh, nice, unfair, nice this, he's, he's abusive, he's this. Wait a minute, how's he abusive to the guys that stuck around? And, and every single time I walked down that floor, I knew when I looked and I had the other four guys out there, they were cut from the same cloth and we knew we were going and we were going to be fine. You know, so I thought Mike Woodson would bring some of that to Indiana. I really did. I thought he would be more demanding on the players as far as if you're not producing, you're not playing, we're not starting the same starting five every single night. We're going to have differences. Somebody plays well in the first half, they're going to start the second half. Leo bailed them out in a game at home or wherever it was where Leo played really well. He didn't even start the next game. If that was Bob Knight, the guy would start it. And, you know, again, I'm not down there every day at practice, so I don't know if Leo was bad the next day. I just thought he should have been rewarded for that. Um, and that's the way Coach Knight used to do it. So there hasn't been any of that. But originally when Mike, when Woody was, was hired and he had brought in Dane Fife, I think everybody thought what you were just thinking. This is going to be a four- or five-year deal, and then Fife's going to take over. And I don't know what happened there, um, but, you know, obviously that wasn't the game plan. I don't know what happened with this thing with Thad Mata. I mean, why was – why was? I never understood. I, I, I literally called <clears throat> Scott Dolson and said, hey, Scott, if you're going to hire guys like Thad Mata, I want one of those jobs because I, I can be good at that. Because I didn't understand what he was doing. Why did we need Thad Mata down there? 
and then he takes the Butler job and has done a pretty nice job. So I'm not sure on the whole when when Woody came in if that was ever talked about, Jake. I, I don't know. Um, it sure sounded like a good idea, but then that thing fell apart within one year because obviously Dane Fife's not going to be around. Uh, and I'm not even sure Dane Fife would have been the guy. Um but I think at Woody's age, that was a legitimate question and a legitimate concern, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought everything I heard, Joe, was that Thad Mata, they kicked the tires to see if he'd be interested in coaching. He wanted to learn more about administrative stuff, and they said, perfect. Then if we've got a guy like Mike Woodson that's getting reacclimated to the college game, you can advise in that regard and also be in an AD-type role and kind of see that side of it. If that's the career that you'd like, the, the direction you'd like to go, obviously that didn't come to be because he went back to Butler as the head coach in terms of Dane you know I like Dane Fife a great deal um I have heard as have others that there were personality conflicts between Fife and Woodson but Fife's been the good soldier and never spoken out on that and so therefore I I I I have to assume that what you hear is correct but I don't know that it's responsible to get into it in depth because Dane Fife has chosen not to and I respect that you know what I mean well it doesn't do Dane any good to, you know, I mean, if he ever wants to coach again, it doesn't do him any good to say anything. But maybe they just didn't agree, and, that, and that's fine. Um, but, I, I mean, uh, it, this is – and I I don't even care about the wins and losses. It's, it's the product that's on the floor and the compete level and the – it just looks like guys have just tuned out Mike Woodson. And that's bad. I, I mean, that's not, you know, I, I don't want to use the words, he's lost the team. I mean, I saw a deal last night where he started getting on Galloway, and Galloway just walked right by him and didn't even listen. I mean, that that's not a good scene. Well, Joe, you, you um, are the first recruit west of the Mississippi, right? You come to, from California, you come to Indiana, and yet you had the same passion, the same pride as Jay Edwards, Lyndon Jones. You know, Todd Jadler wasn't from here, but, you know, do you see that in – and I hate to sound like a xenophobic guy here, but do you feel like the guys that are playing for Indiana today that are being brought in truly understand and appreciate the responsibility of representing Indiana? Yeah, no, I think that's a great uh, question because I don't. Um, but it's been such a long time since Bob Knight was there. And, and look, I didn't come to Indiana to play for Indiana. I came to Indiana to play for Bob Knight. Um because of of the way that they, you know, and anybody ever says, oh, Coach and I, it won't be a problem. Uh, hey, it's a problem. It, it's tough. And the first time he gets after you, you don't know what you don't know. Trust me. But, you know, there was – he – Coach Knight made it such um, – a deal about the program, about the state, that, that as, as you got here, you were immediately bought into that. <clears throat> I don't know if that's the same – fevered pitch anymore uh it's been so long since we've been a national contender that that guys that are coming in from everywhere uh i think you you walk into assembly hall and you see the banners and it's a different type of arena and it's neat and you go wow this is great <clears throat> and then again i don't know i don't know jake if this nil thing has created a deal where okay, this is my highest bidder, and this is why I'm coming to Indiana. And if that's why people are coming to Indiana or any other school, for that fact, it's the wrong decision. Right. Because now you're basically going to school to get paid. 
Um, and that's where I think the NIL thing is, is going to damage uh, college sports. I've said this. I said this two years ago. I don't think there's going to be an NCA anymore, especially in college football. These top 60 or 80 teams, they're going to go develop their own uh, their own conferences. Oh, no they're doubt. Go sign their, they're going to go yeah. sign their own TV contracts, and the NCAA is going to not get any of that money. But what do they need the NCAA for? You don't need them at all. And especially if there's no – if you can just pay guys whatever you want to pay them, who cares? There's there's no rules. There's no regulations, which makes it really hard for a coach. I mean, if you're Mike Woodson, I'll bet you're spending half your time right now worrying about is Mbaco coming back? Is Ware going to the NBA? Is Renew coming back? Uh, you know, it, are the recruits we got coming in, are they going to decommit? Are we giving them enough money? Do we? Have, I mean, that that would be tough as a coach. Joe, we're going to make it. should be worried about other things. And, and look, when I came to Indiana, the first year I was there, we were bad. We were really bad. And it was a hard, long year because when stuff starts spiraling down this way, everybody starts thinking about, I got to take care of myself. I got to take care of myself. And that is a bad – and that's where I think these guys are at right now. Now, I'm sure they like each other because um, there's not any bickering on the floor. But there's nobody getting in anybody's face going, what are we doing? Let's go. This is disgusting. We we can, need, this, we're better. We need that. Joe Hillman dropping F-bombs. That's what we need, right? Yeah. Well, sorry if I said that. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm, I appreciate I'm, I'm. You're right. Like, let's 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 F and go, right? Hey, Joe, I appreciate yeah. it. We, um, we're going to do this, like, biweekly. We're going to have Joe Hillman therapy session. Sound good? Yeah, yeah, I could do that. It's good therapy for me, too. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hey, Joe, I appreciate all it. Right, Have folks. a great Thursday, all right? All right, pal. See all right, ya. Joe Bye. Hillman, former Indiana guard. Tony East going to join us to talk about Pacers. We're going to do that in 12. What do Rafael Davis, Bruce Weber, and Dave Rebson all have in common, Jimmy? They're all unhappy with what Indiana's become? Last night, all of them said Indiana is not playing hard. That's what they all said at the half. That's a win for me then, right? Yes, you are correct. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, you are wearing the very cool Wayman Tisdale era Pacers t-shirt today, right? That is correct. Blue and gold back in action for the final third of the season. Yes, we like to say half of the season because it's after the All-Star break, but realistically, it's a third. And Tony East will join us next to talk about where the Pacers are and who may or may not be on the floor tonight. That's next. Pacers in action tonight back at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. First game since All-Star Weekend in the fine circle city. We'll take on the Detroit Pistons tonight. Covering that as he does all season long is our next guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East. Of course, get his work at SI Pacers, Locked On Pacers, WTHR, along many others. It's Tony East. Nice enough to take some time with us. Tony, hope the All-Star break treated you well and that plenty of content was had on your side as we all consume that along the course of the week. When you look at this coming stretch for the Pacers, out of the gate, trying to solidify their seating, make things easier for them as the second half, or as Jake said, the final third of the season goes on, what are your biggest question marks about this team, how you're observing them starting the night against Detroit? Uh, two. One is, can they find that defensive level they had for a minute there that we were talking about all the time, right? From just before Christmas to right before they got Pascal Siakam when they had a different starting five. They were pretty healthy. 
they weren't defending well, but they were defending fine. I think they were like 16th, 17th in defensive rating in that stretch. It was about 16 games. And for the Pacers, who are going to be a top-five offensive team as long as Tyrese Halpern is available to play, that's enough for them to win a lot. And they went like 11-5 and in that stretch, and they got a lot of good wins, and they really climbed the standings. Can they find that defensive level again, or was that only possible with you know their old lineup situation and things like that? And the the other side of that would be if they can't, you know, they're still destroying people with Halbert and Siakam on the floor since the trade, but their bench has been terrible. And it's been changed a little bit rotationally since, you know, Jalen Smith's back with the bench and they've had guys in and out. Can their bench be back to being the best bench in the league? Because if so, the results they've gotten from their starters have been so good that they'd have to feel encouraged. But if they don't get either of those things and, you know, they're floundering on defense and their bench is not very good. Like we've seen the last 15 games, like a 500 team, right? They need to pop in one of those ways, and they haven't so far. So I think as they're trying to push to stay above seven, those are going to be the two biggest two things to watch to me. Tony East is our guest. Tony, where do things stand in terms of the availability or expectation of minutes if he goes of Aaron Neesmith? He's out tonight. He's not playing uh, against – at least that's what the – Injury report said last night, but it, this was interesting to me. Is it was on the injury report as an ankle injury, his right ankle, and it was a shin injury during the game last week. That's only interesting to me because uh, remember he missed games in January with that shin bilateral shin injury, and uh, he had the tape on both of his shins in that Toronto game. So uh, it seems like the fact that it's an ankle, maybe they're related. They're very close to each other, and I'm not a doctor, but. Um, he won't play tonight. Carlisle said he avoided serious injury, which was something that is good and was not necessarily off the table. He said not as bad as originally feared, and he was limited at practice on Tuesday. So uh, I wouldn't assume it's too long of an absence if he was limited two days ago, and it's not as bad. But, again, he was just straight up ruled out for this game. They have two more days off after this one. So uh, I have no idea exactly how long it's going to be, but it sounds like they're encouraged by at least what it is for right now. You know, it's interesting because, and we've talked a lot about this, Tony, he is a guy that over the course of the season, I think Aaron Neesmith went from one of, you know, hey, this is an intriguing prospect. Let's see what they can get out of him. He's shown some flashes to now. He is a very integral part of what they do, I think, because he can play in so many different positions, perhaps more so than anyone else on the roster. Overstatement or fact? No, fact for sure. I mean, you know, the energy is the thing that is, is valuable that he brings in every night, right? Like that's always talked about with him. But, you know, if you're just an energy defender, you can fit in and you're valuable. But look, I mean, look no further than what he and the Pacers agreed to contractually before the season. $11 million a year for three years. Like, that's backup money, right? That it was the, the, the thought at that time, and even for me, was like he would be pretty good and maybe he'd play every game. But to be this level is fantastic for the Pacers because – the defensive level's been good, if not better than it ever has been before. And he's pairing it with insanely good three-point shooting, right? And that's why he can fit in every single lineup is because three and D players are so valuable. Still to this day, he's at 45% from deep this season. And I don't know if he can hold that up, but it's been, you know, 51 games of that level now. So that can fit anywhere. He can fit at two, three, four next to anybody. If he's making threes and defending, that's fantastic. And, that's huge on this team. And with Siakam now, he can defend threes. He's not guarding guys who are six inches taller than him. He's pretty vital for this team. That's a big loss, especially because, you know, the guys that have behind him are either really young or have been on the team for about two weeks. Tony, we lost you. You still there? I am still there. We just lost the tail end of when you said that guys are still on the t- – and then it cut out. 
Oh, I said, guy, yeah, the guys behind him are, have only been on the team for like three weeks or are young. So, you know, that, that absence will hurt more with Ben Shepard and Doug McDermott being potentially the two guys who stand to gain the most with him out. Tony East is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East and, of course, covers the Pacers for SI and Locked On Pacers. Tony, is it fair to say that going into the final stretch of the season post-All-Star break that the Pacers are still, not just with the Neesmith injury, but at whole – still experimenting and trying to find out who is going to seize the opportunity, both from minutes and an impact standpoint that was left behind when they traded Buddy Heald away? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, he, he, just because he's such a good shooter, and they have other good shooters, but those guys also play other roles. So, like, the natural thinking would be, okay, Doug McDermott, can you fill any of what Buddy Heald did? And, and Doug McDermott told us Tuesday after practice that, and he went down to Phoenix for all-star break, and part of the time he spent down there was, like, studying how the Pacers used Buddy Heald and what specifically they did with him to make him important. And can he replicate those things? Can he be that kind of guy for them? Because that's how they can make the loss as small as possible is Doug McDermott is as close to Buddy Heald as they can get. And I don't think he is um, for a couple reasons that I can get to in a second. But if he can get close to it, that's the most natural way because Mather is a better shooter this year, but – Certainly not the movement shooter or threat from deep that, that Buddy Heald is. We talked about Neesmith shooting, but again, not the movement shooter, not the same level of threat that Buddy Heald was. So that, that's a big loss. And Heald specifically, like, he was occasionally their backup player. He can move the ball. He can pass. He can set screens in a way that's valuable for a guard. And so that's the kind of stuff that McDermott isn't as good at, right? He's not a, he's not as much of a, of a handler creator in pick and rolls. He doesn't have that experience like Buddy Heald does internationally playing at the one. So that is a little bit of a loss. And other guys can handle the ball, obviously, but he's just a unique player, Buddy Heald is, and that's why he's been playing so well for the Sixers so far. So in the absence of him and as they try to figure out exactly what their you know rotation looks like on the wing and at the two, McDermott seems like the most natural guy to absorb some of it just because he, they acquired him and he can shoot it. But I think it's going to be a lot of guys having to do more ball handling or ball movement or just making threes on the move because that's a valuable skill the Pacers lost. When you look, Tony, at – I guess the, here's a two-part question. Part one is this. Rick Carlisle typically, as most NBA teams do, starts to shorten and tighten the rotation heading down the home stretch. That process will begin or be noticeable when? Uh, like, I would say 10, 15 games left. You know, maybe it's sooner than that because the race for seeding is so tight. But they are still kind of exploring, right? Like – I know I've said this with you guys before, but I still wonder, like, do they think Ben Shepard can steal Doug McDermott's 10th man spot? Are they locked into the starting lineup that they've been playing of late? Or do they want to try someone else, you know, in that two-guard spot? Or do they want to try to move Neesmith down to the two and go big? Because that was their big change at the starting lineup spot earlier this season. So I think for, like, maybe three weeks, four weeks, you know, they they are, of course, trying to win as often as they can, but – Try to figure out, like, they made two massive trades in the last, whatever, 35 days. Figure out exactly what makes the most sense for everybody on this team, what role makes the most sense, how it all fits together first. And once they have a really good answer to those questions, it's like they have everybody in the right seat on the bus. They're playing as well as they can. They figured out how everybody can play off of Halliburton and Siakam. Then maybe you start to figure out, okay, where do we cut minutes? How do we iron this out? Because wins are critical for them, right? Like, they're one bad stretch of five days away from the eight seed right now. And I know there's a lot of ways they could make up for that and they could get to five or whatever, but you know, they, they can't afford, I mean, they already can't and they have five of them, but they can't afford any more bad losses. So you have to be careful with how you experiment, but 
I think they still have to answer some questions. Just give. I mean, what are they seven and eight in their last fifteen games? Like they have to figure out some things about their lineup and how they're going to play before they can start to say, okay, here's how. Here's who we want to chop off, and here's who we want to play. Because I don't know yet. I don't, I don't think I know either. Pacers beat writer Tony East joins us. The biggest knock to this point, and there aren't a ton, but the biggest knock to this point on star Tyrese Halliburton is on the defensive end. Now, maybe I am just hoping that he is like other stars in the NBA where when the games really matter, not that they don't matter now, but you know what I mean, when we get to the postseason or the play-in, whatever it is, you often see star players, it locks up across the board. I'm not saying everybody becomes Gary Payton, but you see an effort level increase on the defensive end. In the second half of the season, defensively, what are you watching for in that department? And in terms of his entire game, are there still untapped levels to what we've seen from this rising star? I mean, I would imagine the 23-year-old will get better in some ways, but you know, the defense is so tricky for him to me because of his frame, right? Like, he's just going to – he has to get better moving laterally to be – a much better on-ball defender, and it's been, you know, he's so good as an offensive player that it hasn't, like, hindered him in any way. But, you know, that he's a good team defender, right? He reads the game very well. His positioning's very good. He gets a lot of steals. He's in the passing lane. Like, he's still helping them on defense. He's not useless. But his biggest help to the Pacers defensively is that he helps them score a lot. <laughs> and, right, and that means they're not playing transition defense as much. That means they're not on the glass as often on offense. Like, that's all very important. So, Specifically with him and being a better defender down the stretch of this season and the playoffs or whatever, it's on the ball. It's guarding the ball. And I think that, like a lot of other guards, he's going to be targeted a lot. The Warriors had to figure this out with Steph Curry for years. The teams are going to attack Steph. And then there's this long narrative of, like, well, Steph's actually an okay defender. And it's like, eh, not really. But they found ways for him to fight hard enough and for other guys to help enough that they could they could get away with it and they could make it work. So, for Halliburton, who's taller than Steph and is a tall, taller guard in general, it's just going to be about getting a little better at staying in front of his own man, right, and, and being able to defend pick and rolls, defend the ball. And, and then he's a very valuable player, obviously, on offense. That makes him, in the playoffs, like a must-play for 40-plus minutes, and he already is, but that's the thing for him that will make it very important defensively to me is if he can if he can get on the ball and guard a pick and roll and be a deterrent in a way that even if he dies on the screen, like, that's been a problem for him when he gets screened in the past, or even if he gets beat off the dribble, he's still relevant and in the play and making life hard for the for the other team. And I think he can do that. Again, he understands most things about basketball, but that hasn't really been there yet. We haven't even seen him in a postseason before to really know what that's going to look like. Tony, the other half of the rotation question for me would be this, and you touched on it a little bit. Tony East, our guest, with the Doug McDermott comment. I do believe that Buddy Heald – was kind of an 11th hour decision on trade precipitated by Buddy Heald's desires. And so therefore they were like, we have to get something that replicates something he brings to the table. And McDermott was that guy that they were creative in being able to get. But does Doug McDermott have a regular role down the stretch or is he the one that is most likely to start seeing minutes diminish? And who else would be in that category one way or the other? Either one that is playing their way into a Titan rotation or one playing their way out of it. Yeah, I think that, you know, you know, you guys know this, but every team when they have to win or the playoffs are here and it's more critical to have your starting five playing 38 minutes or 40 minutes instead of, you know, 30 to 32, that means someone's playing less. And it's usually your last guys in the rotation. And as it stands, 
Doug McDermott is the last guy in the rotation. Now, the thing is that's interesting about him being the 10th man is he is probably their best shooter on the team. I mean, Tyrese Albert is the best shooter on the team, but like of the non-obvious guys who could have their roles changed, he's the best shooter, right? So on one hand, I would think he would be the guy that would not play. Right? If they went to nine, if they went to eight, it seems like McDermott would be on the outside of that group, but he gives them something that's very important in, in especially slowed down basketball games and, his defense isn't very good, but I, I wonder what they would think of that and how that would work into everything because we, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but like Obi Toppin could be a guy in that mix to me because you know, he's shot the ball well this year. He's important on the glass, but his defense, like McDermott's, isn't particularly strong, right? Can they just try to roll out a Neesmith, Siakam, Turner, Jalen Smith front court and steal all the minutes there? Like That's hard to do, but if they could do it and they could get enough minutes from that crew – I think they would try to, right? So maybe Toppin's minutes are reduced or, or eliminated. And so McConnell, the last time they were in the playoffs, he didn't play in game four, right? There's a lot of stuff that, that could happen for those last three guys. I don't know if anybody who's behind them or in the rotation is going to work their way in front of them necessarily, but those are the guys that make the most sense to me of if you're the Pacers and you're trying to play your starters more, those are the guys who would play seemingly less to make that happen. Pacers beat reporter Tony East. Nice enough to take some time with us as he does each and every Thursday throughout the NBA season. Tony, you and I had discussed this a couple weeks ago in regards to pieces that could be moved before the deadline. And two names that weren't necessarily outside the box, but were just names that could be testing the waters with their contracts in the offseason were Jalen Smith and Obi Toppin. Both of them are obviously still Pacers. They've been that way in the games that followed from the deadline, and they will be at a minimum for the rest of the season. As you evaluate both of them... Where is the most to be gained for those two players, both in cohesion with what the Pacers want to achieve this season, but also as they are actively auditioning, not just for future with the Pacers, but future with the rest of the league? Where's the growth for them in the short term for the rest of the season? It happens defensively, right? If, especially if the shot is real and they worked really hard on with him on making the three-pointer a weapon, and he's done great with that, and that's made him you know, above at least my expectations for what he could be this season. But, you know, if they're playing for for opportunity and they're playing for money, which I would imagine they are at their age, and maybe they really want to stay with the Pacers and have those things be the case here, they got to prove, you know, they got to be a complete player and prove you can help a winning team, right? And they've both done, again, done well to do that this season. They're playing for the sixth seed in the East and they're in the rotation. But, you know, for Toppin, some defensive growth would be, would be huge, right? Staying in front of guys a little bit better or, just, just being more of a weapon defending pick and rolls. And, and Smith, it's hard to point to a specific thing that he's done so poorly, right? Like he finishes around the basket now. He's making threes. His defense is better. His rebounding is solid. He's just not as good as Miles Turner, so he comes off the bench. But, you know, for both of them, you wonder, like, especially if you look at the Pacers guaranteed contracts next year, how are the, how are the Pacers planning on getting Jarris Walker on the floor at some point in his career? Is it just having him be a backup next year? If so – can those guys both be on the team? Do you have enough minutes to go around for all your young guys available? And if you're Toppin or Smith, you're, are you thinking, maybe I can get the most money I can at the Pacers, but maybe I could play more somewhere else. Or in Jalen Smith's case, maybe I could start on a different team. So they're going to be trying to look to prove that they can be that level of player, and I think that's good for the Pacers that they're going to be in a situation to be motivated in that way. But you know, with Jarris Walker's future looming, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if those guys can play well enough for the Pacers to say, we absolutely have to have you back. You know, we will do whatever it takes. And if they can say, yeah, the Pacers make the most sense for me in my career. So they have a lot to, they have a lot coming for them 
kind of down the stretch of the season because there's this lottery pick foreman who has been playing much better in the G League of late and is you know certainly growing as a shooter and ball handler that is ready to, to play at some point, and they kept him on purpose at the trade deadline. They want him to be that guy someday. So I'll be very curious to see what the rest of the season looks like for those two guys as well as what it means with Jarris Walker and, and his spot. Yeah, Jarris Walker, I thought Rick Carlisle had interesting comments uh, with his Tuesday hit, shameless plug, that he does with the wake-up call <laughs> with KB and Andy on Tuesdays, and he talked about – you know, almost, Tony, it, like they were testing him is the wrong word, but but seeing how he would respond to the challenge. So challenging Jarris Walker to seeing how he would respond to the adversity of going to the G League. You know, a lot of guys would sulk, I, I mean, you know, and just be like, look, I, this is not what I signed up for when I came into the league. And Carlisle was very complimentary of how he handled that. And maybe that's the kind of spark that a guy needs. He's still a young player. And maybe that's the wake-up call, right? We've seen that work with guys. The wake-up call on the wake-up call. That was a good job there with the. I didn't uh, even think about Randy. that. Look at that. <laughs> Wait till yeah, I wake I, up. Know, <laughs> they talked about like leadership being big on that trip too. Like he's played a lot. Most of his assignments, out of convenience, have just been like, "Hey, the Mad Ants are playing across the street. Go play." Right, and that's great. He's gotten those chances to play. This most recent one, they were on a road trip, right? They played in, I think, Sioux Falls before going to Vegas to play the Ignite. And so, you know, he had to be in a team setting, in the hotels, and, you know, all, all sorts of travel and all sorts of other stuff that comes with that. And so something Carlisle talked to us about Tuesday was, like, leadership and all, and all so, parts of that. And Jairus, we talked to him that night. Like, he seemed to, to really enjoy that trip, and he played well, and he felt comfortable with how he did. And, of course, you can look at the stats and say, yeah, he played pretty good in those games. But also another part of this is they traded for Pascal Siakam last month. And, you know, this has been sort of maybe over-talked about, but I don't think it's nothing that Pascal Siakam had a nice rookie season. He was playing for the Raptors in the first half of the year. And then the second half of the year, they sent him to the D-League for almost the entire second half of that season. And he went on to grow a ton with the Raptors 905, and they won the championship. And I think he won D-League MVP or got some big honor in the, in the D-League. And then he became a wonderful player in the pros. So, like, a model, uh, and of course, there's a difference between being the eighth pick and 27th, but the model of a guy playing a lot in the G League as a first-round pick and that being important for their development and being able to play and get better and becoming a great player, you know, an all-NBA-type player at his position is now on the Pacers, right, in Pascal Siakam. He said they've talked about that before, and that's been brought up to him by coaches. Like, I think that can be motivating to go, you know, I know it might be a frustrating pass, and now what any player wants, is to be playing in the G League a lot. Of course, they'll want some playing time if they can get it. But if you have a guy who can say, look, I did it a ton, and it was so helpful for me in terms of skill development, in terms of finances, in terms of accolades, like that has to be very rewarding, right? So I think that that has also made it a little easier, uh, at least from my perspective, for Walker to take those assignments, take them in stride, and continue to improve. Tony, Ben Shepard played in 33 games, had right around 10 minutes per game, and that fluctuated in a positive way for him in the second half, if you will, of the first half of the season. Whatever, we're throwing out too many fractions here. Point is, Ben <laughs> Shepard, any increase in that amount of minutes, or is that about the average you expect with him in the final frame of the season? Yeah, he's got, a, he's got the weirdest 10 minutes per game ever, right? Because either they don't need him at all, and he only plays three minutes of garbage time, or they're like, oh, we have two injuries, you're playing, <laughs> you're playing 20 minutes, you're a backup wing. So I, I think the number at 10 will stay similar just because fully healthy. I still think he's probably outside the rotation, but 
his audition's going very well, as you guys, you know, as everybody saw in Toronto. Like, of course, a career game is the perfect time to talk about him, but making threes, defending, stopping the game-winning shot. Like, he talked about that being a big confidence builder last night with us at, at practice. And, you know, for him to have the career he's had where he came in and everybody was like, man, at Belmont, he's making off-the-move threes. He's handling it himself and creating these shots. What a good shooter, and he was awesome as a three-point shooter at the NBA draft combine. That's how he became a first-round pick. And in the NBA, he hasn't made threes. He's been an awesome defender instead. You know, that's been really interesting to see that kind of thing because let's say the three comes in this, uh, you know, air quotes, second half of the season, and he hits a league average amount of them. Like, that's a 3 and D wing as a rookie. Like, that's someone you kind of want to explore and play, but don't really have room to do so right now, which makes it a little tricky. So I'll be curious if – if it's kind of like what it's been, which is what it seems like it probably will be of, you know, there's some games like tonight with Eric Smith out, for example, where they'll probably be in the rotation or at least play a decent number of minutes. And there'll be a lot of games where they're healthy on the wing and he's garbage time or doesn't play at all. So I think the number will probably settle in in that 10 to 12 range, but it'll be either they need him a lot and they play him a lot and they try to explore what he can do for them. And maybe he can end up being their 10th man as the season progresses, or he just doesn't play and continues to develop with sporadic minutes. But that sporadic minutes is more common because he plays well when they put him out there. He's Tony East, covers the pace of Sports Illustrated, and you can listen to all of that in deeper form of the expectations <laughs> for the second half of the season. Just search Locked on Pacers wherever you get your podcast. Of course, he'll be covering the team every game, including tonight against Detroit. Tony, looking forward to that, getting your recap, as well as talking to you next week. And I'll wait to bother you tonight, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> looking forward to it. That's Tony East. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East. I, I'm making my a pepper uh, update. Oh, we needed a pepper update. I think Pepper's doing okay. <sighs> pepper's Tony's senior cat, by the way. I talked to Tony on the phone earlier this week, and he actually called for Pepper, and I heard a meow in the back. Really? It was distinguishable this time. It was not a child crying. It was clearly a cat meowing, as has happened every now and again. So, Yeah, Pepper uh, was very vociferous. Yes. One of the few Indeed. last times that we were on. We talked about IU basketball earlier. I realize that's a topic that too many, um, and, and I thought the same. I had an epiphany last night, and I think it's going to be good news for you Purdue fans, good news for you Butler fans, good news for you Ball State fans. I'll let you know what it is next. I know when it comes to this program, you don't want to miss a thing. But if you did earlier, where have you been? Thanks for joining us now. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on the show. Eddie Garrison flies the controls for us. It's Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So, Pacers-Pistons tonight, that game at the Fieldhouse. Purdue in action as well, right? Eddie is nodding his head. That is correct, yep. And then there was last night. And I talked about this an hour and a half ago. Tony called in and made a very good point, and I get it. I had this epiphany last night. I'm sitting there and I'm watching that game between Indiana and Nebraska. And I'm watching and I'm watching Nebraska's guards hit open shots, and I'm watching Indiana. Khalil Ware is a good player. He is a skilled player, and and I agree with what Joe Hillman said. There were times you could tell he looked frustrated because it was just like, my gosh, like, you know, he's the one guy that that was kind of keeping him around. And Mbako is skilled, but they're using him. McKenzie Mbako to me feels like Mike Woodson went out and got himself a Ferrari and only drives it in February. You know, it's kind of like, what are we doing here? But 
as I was watching it, it was hard for me to not just get increasingly frustrated, bordering on angry, partially because I want Indiana to be relevant and they're not, partially because I want Indiana to be competitive and they're not, partially because, quite frankly, I'm envious. I'm envious. I'm envious of Trey Galloway. And I'm envious of Kalel Ware and McKenzie and Baco. I admit it. I readily admit it right here on this program at 1.34 in February on a Thursday afternoon. It's pathetic of me at the age of 51 to say that I'm envious of a 19, 20, 21-year-old guy, but I am, retroactively. And what I mean by that is that growing up, I like so many people in the state of Indiana, dreamed of playing basketball for Indiana University. I wanted more than life itself to play basketball for Indiana and have Indiana on my jersey because I love the state of Indiana and I wanted to represent Indiana at that time with what was the like preeminent way of representing the state. And Purdue was a great program too. But as I've said before, it didn't say Indiana on their chest. And I wanted people to know that I was from Indiana because I'm proud of Indiana. And it sounds weird now and perverse and, and odd for me at 51 to make this confession. It doesn't mean that today I, I, like I want to go out there today. But I can retroactively, when I'm watching it, sports is about nostalgia and it's about awakening your childhood passions and emotions and fandom and when I watch Indiana there is still a tiny little trickle of me that can feel that magic of 10 year old me watching in the living room you still hear the cheerleaders in the background right basket basket you know there's certain things that 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 trigger in you and awaken that and then I look at the guys that are playing for Indiana and I get angry not literally, but I get disappointed because I feel like they don't appreciate their ability to fulfill the dream that I once had. And that's totally unfair and it's totally weird, but I think that there are a lot of people watching the game that are thinking to themselves, I just want them to look like they care. I just want them to look like they care. And then, Jimmy, it dawned on me, even though I'm sitting here contradicting it by talking about it on the radio on a Thursday, the day after the game. I have to admit that as I was watching the game and as they went down 20 and they went to the half and they just kind of jogged off the floor and they came out in the second half and they made lazy passes and they let Nebraska hit open shots. And then I just thought to myself, you know what? I just want them to care because I know that when I was 20, I would have cared but I'm not 20 anymore, so I don't care. They don't, so why should I? And is that unfair to say about college? You're talking about, I can't believe I'm listening to the radio, and this guy's on there as an adult, and he's talking about college kids. These are amateurs out there working hard for school money. No, it's not. These are guys now that are professional basketball players. Fact. They are professional basketball players, so they should be held to a level of professionalism. What is college about? College is about preparing you for the real world. When you go to college, 
most universities, maybe not the case now, but for a long time, your freshman year, you had to live in the dorms. You know why? Because part of college is learning how to deal with people different than you, learning how to live with people that are different than you. Part of college is learning how to use public bathrooms. It's part of it, right? Having to go to the bathroom in the middle of your school day is part of college. You didn't do that when you were in high school. Are you kidding me? Having the to bathrooms wonder, were just for pencil pop and, and Marlboros, right? Having to wonder why the second shower in Igerman's always closed. I don't understand. Why yeah. is there caution tape on it? What happened there? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> right. But you had to wade through that and grab your little bucket and your flip-flops, yep. right? Yep. It's part of what college is about. There are a million things about college. It's about preparing you for the real world. And when you work in the real world and you have a job where you draw a paycheck, the standards and the expectation and the dedication that you show is different than when you were an unpaid intern or somebody volunteering in high school. So when you are somebody that took multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to a university, that's not the case with all of them, but there are a few on the roster that are getting paid significant NIL money, and when you've got grown men that are my age holding fundraisers and begging people to come down to spend a ton of money at fantasy camps so that you can pad the pockets of the guys that are playing, the least that you ask is that it looks like they care. So there's part of me that actually thought to myself, Jimmy, there's part of me today that actually thought to myself, you know what? If there's no care then should I be spending part of my professional day talking about it? Should I even care? Or should we just say, we're done? We're done talking about it, and we're done letting people vent because who cares? They don't. Why should we? Here's my issue with that. I agree. Caring is probably out the window at this point. I don't think this is a roster, a complete roster issue. And... Joe highlighted that during our conversation with him earlier in the day. Malik Renew is a good basketball player. Hello, Ware is a good basketball player. Mackenzie Mbako, look, two for eight is rough, but he's a good basketball player. It's not an issue with the forwards, and it's certainly not an issue with the big man. And maybe down the stretch of games, they have blinked, and maybe their effort level has waned a bit. But it's not been an issue with their forwards and their center. It all comes down to not just effort, but effort and high execution from a flawed guard play system. You look at them just last night alone, Indiana's guards, 7 of 26 from the field. That's just across the board from the field. That's not just three-point range. We know they can't do it underneath Mike Woodson. 2 of 12 from beyond the arc, 5 assists, 7 turnovers. And ordinarily, that would be a moment for me to step in and be like, well, next year, maybe it'll be better for them because they'll figure out there's no guard coming in next year that is going to help solve the issues. I don't mean because I'm insulting a young man that's about to go play to Indiana. I mean, there's literally no guards. There's nobody in their incoming recruiting class that plays that position. And I get it. Ja'Kai Newton's maybe waiting in the wings and maybe he instantly solves things. I don't have a problem with Gabe Cups. He was asked to do far too much this year. He could develop into a nice player. But the idea of him being the savior next season is ridiculous. So what you want to do if you're an Indiana fan is start looking towards next year. But next year doesn't have solutions to your problems. If they keep all of their key pieces of where, of Renew and Mbaka, let's just say for the sake of argument, they stay. Well, not where, because he's probably going to go to the draft. So Mbaka and Renew, let's say they stay. Okay, then you bring in Liam McNeely, who is a 
five-star and a big man. And that's great. And maybe he raises the roof and is an awesome player and lives up to his ranking when we know these rankings really don't matter. They still won't have good guard play unless they pull a rabbit out of their ass in the transfer portal. It, it, it It's over. There's no solution. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. So to answer your question about caring, I don't know if every one of the players on that roster have given up because I still think there's some effort level, especially from the people you point out that are likely making the most in NIL money in Khalil Ware, in Malik Renew, in Mackenzie Abaco. I don't think they've given up on this team, but their guards certainly have. And that's the bigger issue because I don't have a solution for you in the 2024-25 season that's suddenly going to fix that. Okay, let me read you what... And I know I said I don't care anymore. I realize it, right? I know I said that. But I might have lied. Because let me read you a quote yesterday from Mike Woodson that Greg Doyle has in the Indianapolis Star. And I'm assuming that Woodson said this to Doyle because it differs a little bit from the clip that we had from Woodson's presser. But Doyle has this in quotes, and I'm assuming he said, I think he said it to Greg. So credit to Greg Doyle. This when talking about Gabe Cups. Quote, he's been thrown to the Wolves basically as a freshman. When I recruited Gabe, the deal was everyone thought Jalen wouldn't be a one and done. That was the whole deal. You had X and you knew Gabe would come in and probably be a third point guard behind two veteran guys, Jalen being a sophomore now, end quote. Okay, but let's say we believe that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That is the most troubling quote that you can have, period. Because what that shows is somebody that didn't think around the corner, that didn't think worst-case scenario, and more so – appears to be the only person on planet Earth that thought when Jalen hood Shafino came to Indiana that Jalen hood Shafino was planning on being there more than a year. No one thought that. No one. No one. Jalen hood Shafino, from the time he arrived on campus, was a one-and-done player. My mom knew Jalen hood Shafino was leaving. There were that conversations. is Mike Woodson, in quote, saying that they had planned on him being there more than a year. And they banked on that, Jimmy. That- they banked on that. You can't bank on no, can't. that. You have to have a plan B. Indiana looks like a team right now that has no leadership at the top that plans on plan B for anything, and when plan A goes to hell in a handbasket, they absolutely are getting run out of the gym by a football school that's still trying to chase football the way Indiana's trying to chase basketball. It's embarrassing. It's absolutely deplorable, and there is zero excuse for it. For a coach to say that a guy comes in and that they planned on and were building things as if he's going to be there and had no backup plan. If there's a backup plan, show it to me. That's and that's exactly issue. why yes. that's yeah. exactly why they're in the situation Correct. you're talking about. Because I would be willing to, begrudgingly, but I'd be willing to you know, cover my ears and say, well, some scouts in the early goings of the season thought maybe he would need another year. And then once you got into December and January, it was clear he was gone. But even if you're willing to give a pass there, you then have effectively 18 months, if you're counting this coming fall, to bring in another guard. And you haven't done it. Totally. I, that that comment from there, right? That comment to me, right there, is the most troubling yeah. thing ever because there's no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel because not only do you only have one player coming in, not only are you probably going to see players that are going to leave, but in addition to that, you now have precedent on record of a coach who is 
admitting to the fact that he did not see what was coming around the corner that everybody else at Assembly Hall saw. So what in the world is the plan for the next four years? That There's no plan right now, and as far as we can tell by precedent, there's no backup either. Drives me crazy. This song is Eddie's way of saying after my last segment. Okay, that's it. That's enough, Grandpa. We, we've had enough. We're going home now. No, no more Pabst. No more PBR for you. By the way, this is a good uh, comment from Wes on Twitter. X, whatever you call. Are we still calling it Twitter? Yeah, we still call it Twitter. I'm I call not. it Twix. All right, well, that's, that's not bad. That's which that's... do you prefer, the caramel or the peanut butter? Peanut butter. I, I, not a caramel fella. Traditional how long, how long Twix. have you been a communist? What's that? Traditional <laughs> Twix. Yeah, I don't know what yeah. we're doing. Left uh, Twix or right Twix is the real question. Woodson also said he had no clue Xavier Johnson was coming back until he got awarded a sixth-year red shirt after he got injured mid-season. By that time, Jalen hood Shafino was long gone, so he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. I, I would agree with that. It's a good point. Listen, I don't, I don't know Mike Woodson. I, I have nothing personal against Mike Woodson. I, I, I agree with what Joe Hillman said. By all account, I've heard he's a great guy. I, I know people who were kind of part of the hiring of Mike Woodson. I, you know, I, and at the time, I thought it was a, I thought it made a lot of sense. Truth be told, but I think now they're kind of stuck because the people that put him in place have the ultimate say. And, and I'm not talking about Scott Dolson and. If he wants to come back next year, then he's going to come back. And I would think that Mike Woodson, part of what made him a legendary Indiana basketball player and a long-tenured NBA player and coach, is a competitive nature that would say he wants to come back. Look, I hope for his sake that it's – which you could make the case, oh, it couldn't possibly be worse. Well, it could. They've won 14 games this year. But I I hope for the sake of Mike Woodson, because I, I too, I don't know him personally, but I like Mike Woodson – it's going to get a lot worse if it's another down year next year. And it it stinks when you separate the fandom from the human element. Mike Woodson means a great deal to the history of Indiana basketball as a player. And the thought that this thing could end ugly, like right now it's just booze and us getting upset on querying company, right? Like that's, that's where we're at now. And there's still five games to play. And he's likely going to have a whole nother season to try to right the ship here. So I hope this doesn't end the way I think it's going to, which is an ugly mess, an uncomfortable buyout, and a sad exit stage left moment for an Indiana legend. Okay, I'll tell you what. Bruce Weber's going to join us next. Love Bruce Weber. I'm going to offer good news for everybody here. You ready? I told you, we're, we're going to start a segment upcoming called Good for the Heart Fridays. Well, we're going to take each Friday, and I'm not here tomorrow, so obviously it's going to start in a week, but each Friday, a feel-good story. And I don't mean a feel-good story like, oh, you know, New Mexico's won four in a row and they made the tournament. I'm talking about Dana Benbo has a brilliant story in the Indianapolis Star right now that I read this morning, and it was wonderful, about a young man who had all kinds of health complications as essentially a preemie, as a young baby, and got into school in the Avon schools and was just kind of, you know, a kid that had challenges at school, both socially, health-wise, everything else, 
and found a new lease on life by, in the seventh grade, becoming the middle school mascot and now is Mr. O, the Avon mascot. And when he puts on that uniform, life just exudes out of him. It's a brilliant article. It's a wonderful story. It's a great read. And it's a feel-good story, right? So with all of the, the crap going on with IU basketball, read Dana's article after the show. Wait till like you know, uh, 6 o'clock tonight once our shows are all done today. Read the article and you'll feel good about it. You'll feel better about yourself. You'll feel better about life. And thank you to Owen Carr for providing that reprieve for all of us and also offering a preview of the kind of young men and women in this city that I hope to pro- profile each and every Friday as part of our Feel Good Friday. Bruce Weber's next. So this was the song that played at the end of The Sopranos, right? And last night, that Indiana game was kind of like the ending of The Sopranos. All of a sudden, like the the game ended and you sat there and you thought to yourself, what the hell just happened? I could have sworn I was watching the game and, and they're down 20. Living in a lonely world, Jake. Now, this is the perfect, our next guest is perfect and I'll tell you why. Because we're doing group therapy for Indiana fans today. And it, now I don't know because we're landlocked inside here in our studio, but when I came in at least today, it was a little bit overcast, right? Th- this next guest, just when he talks, it it uh, immediately illuminates sunshine through your car radio or in this studio or whatever else. It's just one of those guys that you're like, this guy's never had a bad day. Always in a good mood, constant energy. And Bruce Weber joins us on the program, who last night on the Big Ten Network. And, and Coach, I've got to admit, I've always thought of you as this eternal optimist and at halftime of the Indiana game last night, I could sense that you were also thinking to yourself, like, something just seems off here. Did I tr- did I read that correctly through my television screen? If if you were a Husker fan, it was that you were you were very positive. Obviously, if you're a Hoosier fan, uh, it was a really bad start uh, start to the game. Their energy at home, uh, you know, and and. It's it's a fact how much struggles Nebraska's had on the road, and it you know they just jumped on them and just I don't know what it was, but this it seems to be a trend for the Hoosiers not to get off the great starts, and then there's a sense of urgency in the second half, and then it just this time you know when you got to come back from twenty. It's so hard, and then everything's got to go perfect. And sooner or later, you know, Nebraska just made a couple plays that got it back. And then you kind of – when you make those big comebacks, you get to that point, and then you just kind of lose your energy again. And so it's a little bit surprising, especially how the game went. Coach, when you were coaching – Bruce Weber is our guest joining us on the program here. When you were coaching, was there ever a season at any of your stops along the way – where you felt like either you as a head coach or maybe when you were an assistant, like as a staff, where you had lost your team? Was there ever a year where you just thought to yourself, I just think it's too far gone? Well, I think there's always moments in the season when you lose them and then you have to get them back. And, I mean, it's just part of them. It's the ups and downs of seasons. It's it's basketball. It is a long season. Um, it, it takes a toll on the kids, especially when you lose. And, and that's – it's so important. One of my former managers, grad assistants, called the other day and uh, he just said, Coach, we just lost two in a row on the road. What do we do? And I said, go play wiffle ball. Go play dodgeball. You know, do something. Just have fun. 
you you know because that that mental grind. It's I talk to Rafael Davis about it all the time, and he said, Coach, you shouldn't be tired as a a player. You only play thirty some games. They cut back practice, but I think it's not the physical tired. It's more the mental tired, and the grind of it uh, just kind of takes a toll. Uh, and you heard, I don't know if you heard Fred Hoiberg after the game. I I kind of joked early. When you start losing on the road all the time, Coach Katie, I did all the travel plans. We stayed at every hotel in Bloomington. We ate at every different restaurant. You know, we'd left early. We'd left late. We tried everything to try to get wins. And, uh, you know, Fred said that they did meditation yesterday during the day. And I don't know if that was the difference, uh, if that was the difference or not. But it definitely uh, was you know, it, it made a difference for them, you know, and they obviously got the win. Well, did you feel like the reason I asked is because from the Indiana standpoint, and look, I, I like Fred Hoiberg a great deal. I mean, all the way back to his playing days here, and I think he's, you know, clearly a, a really good coach, and, and I like the way Nebraska plays. From the Indiana standpoint, does, did that look to you like a team coach, quite frankly, that Maybe not for the full season in totality, but last night did it look like a team that, in fact, was one where the coaching staff has lost them? They definitely did not have energy from the beginning. I don't know about it. Coaches lost them. You know, sometimes, and, and Rayfield talked about this last night, it, 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 a lot of times people blame the coaches. It, sometimes the players got to stand up, and they got to, you know, make a decision. And, um you know, it, it's been a disappointing season for them, and they're you know it's it's easy to look at them. You know, from the free throws to struggles, the three point struggles. Um, you know, those are two obvious things, and they don't have a true point guard, an experienced you know point guard, and that it makes a difference. And and it's really been Nebraska's problem on the road. And and last night, uh, Lawrence just stepped up. You know, when you get to those gut check times of the game, you got to have a guy that can go make a play. It helps you get through and find a way to win games. And and they don't have that. So I think it's all added up to their struggles this year. Um, you know, I, I, Renew has been unbelievable. Uh, I think he's probably the most improved player in the league from my viewpoint. How much strides he made. Where has been you know pretty good for them and. Uh, Galloway puts a lot on his shoulders, and I think it takes a toll on them as they go. And Mbako is is a really talented guy, but you still don't have that point guard. I think that's what they're really missing. And and if they had that, they it would their season would be totally different, to be honest. That in my opinion, the coach Bruce Weber, nice enough to take some time with us, Bruce. When I look at Indiana, I look at a program that was in the depths of hell before Tom Crean was able to resurrect things and, and put the program back on a better path. Felt like they needed to make a change there. They had reached the ceiling with him. They go with Archie Miller. They don't make the tournament during his tenure. And they go back to a, an old Indiana familiar face that they hope is able to turn the program around in Mike Woodson. And we know the rest, two tournament appearances, and then this year has been a struggle for them. And I'm with you. I think guard play is seriously inhibiting their ability for guys like where renew and Baco to shine the way that Mike Woodson likely envisioned that, but ultimately it rests on him for why they don't have the proper guards in there. And when I look at Indiana, I see a program without clear lights at the end of the tunnel. When you as a national pundit now look at Indiana, what do you see as your perception of the program as a whole and the program moving forward? 
Well, obviously, you know, what Coach Woodson has done to get him back in the tournament, you know, obviously it helped to have Trace Jackson Davis, uh, you know, and that you can jump on his back, and they did. And, and if they, you know, if they had Hood Trofino this year, they'd be a really good pro, uh, really good program again. I think that in this day and age, you can turn it around so quick. Uh, we were talking about it in the studio last night. If they can keep, you know, I don't know if they can keep Mbako you know, but if if you keep wearing and renew, and they're not, you know, the NBA says they're not ready, and you can just find a, they probably need a couple guards. Uh, you know, they need a, a a veteran guard that they could get in the portal, which makes it easy. You know, with this new portal rules, it makes it easier. And then probably a, a younger guard to help them, and that they can keep in the program. I think that's a key moving forward. For you've got to have some guys coming up developing but you also got to continue to add guys in the portal so i think it you know obviously it wasn't the season that you know all who's your fans hope and you know as a outside person you you kind of wondered i i kept looking at it you know and i had them early against moorhead state i was like man can they make it get over the hump without these guards and with the shooting woes and you know but with the new way college basketball is you can change your roster pretty quickly, and and if he can find the right guys, um, you know, and they and they keep the right people with them, they could be a, uh, you know, back in that top part of the league again next year. Their freshman guard in Gabe Cups has been asked to do a lot beyond his years due to the situation that was presented to him. He is likely going to be a piece of this roster next season. What do you see when you look at the freshman Gabe Cups? Well, yeah, and there's no doubt what you said. When you ask a freshman to do what he's had to do, and, and I think that's the mental part. You know, you, you saw it last year with the Purdue guards. It, and they they it just takes a toll on you. The season does, and then a lot is asked of you, and, and it's it makes it harder and harder. He's, a, you know, obviously coming from his family. You know, the dad is a coach. He knows basketball. He loves it. Uh, I actually – Troy Lewis, uh, our former player at Purdue, was assistant coach for his, uh, you know, for him for Gabe's program in, in Ohio, and uh, Troy just raves about his work ethic, how he gets up early and works at his game, how he loves it, and I think he's a guy that could make a big jump just to get to from that get over that wall from freshman to sophomore year, be a light at the end of the tunnel. Your body improves, the ball, the game moves at a different speed i think he can make some nice strides for them coach i gotta admit i grew up bruce weber is our guest from the big 10 network i grew up as i've talked about on this show in indianapolis as a big indiana basketball fan and every year when iu and purdue play you didn't like me at all (laughs) well here's the thing this is the thing and this is what actually this is where i dislike now i i finally i dislike you and troy lewis because i realized that i never should have disliked you to begin with because troy lewis was actually a guy coach growing up as an iu fan and a purdue hater i couldn't help but like troy lewis you know what i mean like he just that dude was just good and he seemed like a good dude and it was like man i kind of want to root for this guy kind of made me mad to be yes. honest with you you know yeah there's no doubt and troy it was so nice i i I talked to Matt Painter last week. They honored Troy at the Indiana game, you know, did the Bible bobblehead and um, got his, you know, jersey up there and all. It was so well-deserved, and, and he is such a good young man. The first thing Matt Painter, he texted me after when I, I texted him about some stuff, he just said, Troy is such a good dude, and and he is. He's just a good, good-natured good person, and he loved 
his time at Purdue, and he still loves Purdue, and he loves coaching and helping young men. And just as an assistant, he's got a regular job. It's just kind of a hobby for him. So, uh, you know, and that's why he was so good and so much fun to coach. And a really good player, no doubt about it. Speaking of Purdue, Bruce Weber, our guest, uh, last night they got some help in the form of Penn State with a furious comeback against Illinois. You were in the booth, for, or, you know, in the studio, I should say, for that game as well. Did the end of that game and the resiliency of Penn State tell us more about Penn State and where they are trying to round things out or more about Illinois? Well, you know, it, it a little bit of both, I think. There's no doubt. His coach Rhodes has got those guys to be resilient. And he lets them play, and I think at times it hurts them because they're a little loose and free. But then at other times in that situation, it was obviously very helpful. And, and then Purdue or Illinois, it showed their – it exposed their weaknesses, uh, the guard play, getting after them. Uh, you know, they had trouble bringing it up. Even sometimes they beat the press, it looked really shaky. And then it finally caught up with them. Uh, and then, you know, they've allowed a lot of points. Illinois has a lot, a lot of points on the road. And, you know, last night it was 90. And in the three games before, I think I talked about it at the pregame, it was 81 points a game. And that's a lot of points to give up. Um, and it, so that kind of exposed them. And if you have a big guy, Wahab early can take it to Coleman Hawkins. But and the same token, Illinois is hard to guard. Uh, Shannon downhill is, is really, really good. Um, you know, uh, Damask is good. Uh, Gary A is good. I thought their bench last night, I thought Coach Underwood used them a lot more, and, and they actually produced for them. And, you know, they could be a team in, in the tournament that, it, again, things click their way in the right matchups. They could, they could be last in a couple weekends. There's no doubt. Coach, when you look at Purdue, obviously Purdue's tremendous and their resume is just incredible in what they've done outside of the conference and even in Big Ten play. But as I was watching, and I want your coaching perspective on this, as I was watching the Ohio State game, I kind of had this dichotomy of emotion watching Purdue, and 50% of it was, hey, this is Ohio State kind of getting some energy off of you know the turmoil of the week, and these things happen. And then the other 50% of it was, gosh, is this Purdue starting to tense up and hearing the whispers of all of the narrative about the March shortcomings coming into play and causing them to tighten? Is the latter part of that a legitimate concern? I don't know if it's a tighten. I, I, I really thought the last couple of weeks they've started to slip a little bit. And Rafael and I have talked about it in, the, you know, just – not just on air, but in the studio and stuff. And you know, we have a lot of time watching those games. But I, I thought, you know, Northwestern could have had them at home. Minnesota pushed them, you know, at home. And and they, you could just feel it. They were getting close. Um, and and even Indiana, they, I didn't think they played great in that game. They played good, but not great. And and allowed Indiana to kind of hang in there when they you know, could have put the foot on the gas and, and really got that thing to a, a big blowout. But uh, I felt it slipping, and, you know, now we will see. Was that a wake-up call uh, for Purdue? Are they, you know, did they get, does that game get their attention? Or does it get them, like you said, does it get them tight? And now they start, you know, they were playing so confident, free and loose, what, a night in a row or whatever it was. Um, you know, and now, you know, now is there a, 
was it getting a little lackadaisical, or is it what you talked about? Is it time getting late? They're starting to think about it, getting that exposure. Um, you know, so we'll see. We'll see a lot tonight because uh, that game, uh, Rutgers, their style of play is the one that, you know, Matt has struggled with a little bit and their team has struggled with as of late. So, and Rutgers, other than that loss in Minnesota, they've been as hot as anybody. So, uh, you know, if Purdue can stand up and they get their attention and make a nice run tonight, you'll know that they're for real and they're going to continue moving in a positive direction this next few weeks. Would it behoove Bruce Weber for Purdue at this point to maybe, you know, Fletcher Lawyer, it seems like, has kind of hit that, that wall again. Uh, Mason Gillis is obviously kind of their Swiss Army. Would it be smart of Purdue to make the change to give a jolt in terms of their lineup by putting Gillis into a starting lineup and pulling Lawyer out, or is it too late in the year to kind of start tinkering with stuff? Yeah, I think you can – I don't know if you need to tinker with it, but I – and Matt's done it now. You're going to have to just be confident that if he can't guard or do what he needs to do, you're just going to have to play the other guys and have confidence. He's got – you know, obviously Lance Jones has done an unbelievable job. He still has Ethan Morton who can come off the bench and give them minutes, and you got Gillis. And, you know, so I, I you know, he's just going to have to do a good job of rotating him. If, if it's not the right day for Fletcher, you, you know, it's it's you got to get him out and let the other guys make those plays. I think with Fletcher, I don't know if he's hit a wall again, but what happens in – as the league goes on and you get to know people, they start exposing them, and now they start thinking. And I, t- you talked, to, I talked about Gabe Cups before. You start thinking about it, it overwhelms you and the things you can't do. And I think that's what happened with Fletcher Lawyer because everyone's bringing it up. Oh, you, he doesn't guard well enough. And so when you start thinking about that, it takes a toll on him, you know, on him. And and then obviously there's some doubt then in your mind. And so we'll. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, if Fletcher can stand up and have a good little run here. It would be nice for him and for their team. Big Ten Network's Bruce Weber joins us. Bruce, as media members, and obviously you're you're part of this now, have been for quite some time, but as media members, we're needed to react on a nightly basis to how this push towards March Madness unfolds. And in Purdue's case... They, you know, it's a good place to be, right? You're battling for which number one seed are you going to get? Are you going to be the top overall seed? Or are you going to be a number one of, of a lesser caliber? We know the NCAA tournament itself is a crapshoot, and it all depends on what the draw holds for you in the road to making a Final Four, which is very tough. For Purdue, do we overreact to the thought of them potentially missing out on the top overall seed like how much does that matter from a coach's perspective that little advantage of knowing in theory you get the easier side of the bracket as a number one i i don't think it's a big deal to be honest um you know it's nice it's great for the fans it's great for the media something to talk about uh but at the same time as a as a coach if you're a one seed you're a one seed and and now you just got to take care of business and and again matchups uh, are so important, you know. Can they? Does these do these teams do things that you struggle with? Can they and, and produce? You know, uh, in their situation, do they have somebody that post traps? A team that post traps? Do they have guards that have good quickness and can get after you? Do they have guards that have a wiggle and can get by you with the dribble? You know, those are the things. So if they hit those teams, that's where you're going to worry a little bit. 
Uh, if it's a straight-up basketball team, Matt Painter's team and Matt Painter, they're going to win the game, I promise you. But if you got somebody who can do a little something different, those are the teams they struggle with. All right, lastly, Coach, give me the Big Ten team not named Illinois or Purdue heading down the home stretch and into the Big Ten tournament that you kind of have one eye on it and say, you know, nobody's talking about it, but they're starting to really show themselves and come together where they might be able to kind of play a Cinderella in the in the conference tournament. That team is who? Well, I, I would give you two, uh, Rutgers and Minnesota. Those both teams, and, and Ben Johnson's done an unbelievable job um, keeping those guys at task. I, you know, the way they beat Rutgers the other night, they, they look for real. And because they've had, they've had, if they wouldn't have lost that lead to Iowa, if they wouldn't have lost the lead to Missouri, you would be talking about them on the major part of the bubble. Um, and, you know, it's just, but they, they're going to have to overcome a few things. Um, I think Rutgers is, you know, with the addition of Williams, and they've seen the kind of figured some things out. They play so hard. They rebound. Uh, if they make shots, they could go on a run. Uh, you know, so – and then I, I guess one more I'd give you is Iowa. And, you know, their resilience and losing games and that, to come back and play like they did at Michigan State, that that was impressive. So I think those those three teams are teams you could kind of watch – and and we talk about it in studio all the time. Is there somebody that's going to make a run? There's always somebody that steps up and makes a run here down the stretch. And those were the, those would be the three I think would have, maybe have that chance that you're maybe not talking about. And one of those three, of course, in West Lafayette tonight, talking about Purdue. Well, Rutgers taking on Purdue at Mackey. Coach, we appreciate the time as always, and certainly look forward to talking to you again. Very good, thank you. Uh, all Bruce, the best, Bruce Weber, one of the best. Uh, from the Big Ten Network. You missed uh, an opportunity there, though. What's that? You missed an opportunity there. What's that? we got to continue to pitch the Kalamazoo project. We can't just let oh, it go by man. the wayside. I don't know what we're doing here. You're right. I forgot about it. We'll explain what that is next because that was a complete drop of the ball there. So one of the great things about this song, which was listed by Rolling Stone, I believe, is the worst song of the 80s because they don't believe in creativity and innovation. I mean, come on. Whenever you're talking about um, Marconi playing the Mamba or whatever it is, how can you not love it? But it has a traffic report in the song itself. So I'd like to offer this traffic report. See, this is what you get from this program. Is this a traffic report of Kalamazoo right now? (laughs) (laughs) The traffic report in Kalamazoo is indeed backed up. And I'll tell you why. Because people are already in anticipation of what's going to be happening there in just a couple of weeks. Or at least a year from now in a couple of weeks. Um but I do feel compelled to let people know that on North Fall Creek Parkway at 34th Street, approximately, so 3400 North Fall Creek Parkway, if you are headed in that direction right now, get the hell out of the left lane because there's a missing manhole cover. Now, that seems problematic. NDOT has been made aware, but according to my Citizen app, a manhole cover is missing. How do you miss? How do you lose a manhole cover? Do we know that? It, I think. What's that? You misplaced it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Did they go and like, and by the way, I, I mean, they're manhole covers. When, Ooh, when are we going to start calling them it. people? I got it. People hole covers. I figured it out. I know how you lose the manhole cover. How's that? Because Leonardo and the gang, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, forgot to put it back down oh. when they were going back down to the sewers. You know, actually, uh, no, it was the- Thanks, Eddie. Not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was one of the Power Rangers. I went to kindergarten and first grade. My best buddy in kindergarten and first grade, 
moved to Cincinnati in second grade, Selwyn Ward. And Selwyn Ooh. Ward is a Power Ranger. He's, right. one of the, he's one of the Power Rangers. That's pretty cool. Uh, we came up with the idea yesterday in Kalamazoo. Jimmy Cook gets credit for coming up with Kalamazoo, right? I, I did come up with it. Then we looked up that Kalamazoo has a new arena they're opening to the price of $300 million because they got all kinds of the tax ganja money up there, Joke's right? Joke's on you. I'm an early, uh, early contributor to that arena, so I'm going to get a couple profits once we get this really? event right. going. Well, because of the ganja tax? <laughs> is that it? No, I meant because of the event we're planning. So the event we're planning is, and we need to come up with a better name of it than just simply the NCAA worst four. Um, I told play you. and suck tournament worst, worst four. four. That's great. I said the lower quartile, the lower quartile. That's pretty good, which is which is rare air, right? So our idea this time of year, think of the excitement when Detroit Mercy upset IUPUI and one man rushed out on the one of the twenty people in the crowd did a court rush, their first win of the year. Coppin State has two wins. Sacramento State and DePaul stuck on three. Would you rather have those two wins towards the beginning, the middle, or the end of the season? You don't want to screw up. You don't want to screw up your chance of getting into the worst four tournament. Yeah. So we're going to have the four teams with the worst record converge on Kalamazoo the week before, actually the night before Dayton. And those four teams are going to play in the new Kalamazoo Arena on Cooley Street. And the, the, now here's what we need to decide. Originally, we just had two teams. Now we're going four. But either way, are we going with the losing teams that advance out or the winning teams? There's a time to play and there's a time to win, Jake. And I feel like in the worst four, there's a time to win to be rewarded. Okay. So I would argue winner. So the winner of those games. Because if you do lose, so you have a little tournament. It turns into the all-star game, but in inverse. Good point. That's a good point. And so the winner of our little tournament, feet. then with uniforms on, has to drive straight to Dayton and immediately go out and play the lowest seeded 16th seed in the play-in tournament. That's the part I don't get. Why are we depriving them of a shower? Why does it need to be... Because it's got to be as much hell as possible. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's like when Indiana lost to Butler in 1994, and I was down there working, and like it... I mean, I stayed in Bloomington during holiday break to work, and literally, I don't know, at midnight that night, I'm sitting there, and... I lived with somebody that played bas- next door to, but kind of with whatever, somebody that played basketball at IU, and they walked into the apartment at like 1230 at night, still in their uniform, their game uniform and their shoes, because they went straight from Hinkle Fieldhouse back to Assembly Hall and had like a five-hour practice, and then the next week beat Kentucky. So that's if we're going to create for these okay. teams to make All a right. run, just straight at it. And then they're going to make a run, they're going to shock the world, and they're going to be like the St. Mary's of this year, except for that they had to go through Kalamazoo to get there. I love it, you get, right? I mean... Starts with a K, and then you start striking people out. That's it. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, it's a mix of college hoops and the NBA, both local bets. First with the Pacers and the Pistons. The Pacers begin the second half final third, whatever you want to call it, of the season post-All-Star break. We'll take over 129.5 total points for the Pacers over Detroit tonight. In that same game, we will take Tyrese Halliburton on his over four points, assists, and rebounds. We don't have time to correct my error. I'll get it at the end of the show. 36.5 is his points, assists, and rebounds total. Usually we just go points and assists. Lay the 14 on the Purdue Boilermakers tonight as they host Rutgers. And in that same game, over 20.5 total points for the big fella, Zach Eady. Eddie, do you have anything? 
No bets, Freddie Garrison. Those are your plays of the day. How about this, Jimmy? I got one for you. You ready? Love it. Doug McDermott, three-point shots tonight, over, under, one and a half. Ooh. Makes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, three-point makes. Huh? Under. Give me the over because it's a blowout win for Indiana, and he's in it's there at the point. end of the game. It's a good point. Ooh, nice. It's a very okay, good how about point. this? Head-to-head, higher point total. Jaden Ivey, Benedict Matherin. A Benedict Matherin. Revenge, or, or a battle game between them two. Matherin has another laugh at, at Ivey's expense. By the way, uh, for Halliburton, points plus assists is what we're playing, and that is over 32.5. So over 32.5 points plus assists for him in regards to your threes bet. The sportsbook I use does not offer anything on Doug McDermott, so I can't. So are you doing both? Your lines right. PRA and No, no, PA? no. I, I wanted to correct that because okay. I thought we wouldn't have enough time. Excuse me? What was that again? PRA, points, rebounds, <laughs> assists. PA, points, and assists. What, what's GA? Is that Gamblers Anonymous? <laughs> that is? 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Uh, gambling allowed? You know, that's actually my ICE number. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that, right? If you find this man in the fetal position, please call this number. I think I told you guys that I, I inadvertently have already wagered one bet because last year, the morning after the Super Bowl, I, I put, I think I took $20. I put $2 on like 10 different teams. Yeah. And one of them was Kansas City. You're welcome. And so that paid 16 bucks. There you go. Hope you got a nice cheeseburger out of it. And that. then, so I was when I was going through it, I was looking at the odds for next year. And I inadvertently put down five bucks on the Denver Broncos. Well, maybe that cash out option will appear. I mean, one would think that the odds of that are probably pretty slim, right? Yes. But if it if it hits, you know, I'm, I'm like super rich. I mean, we're all going to down the street to the pizza place, get a slice of pizza, right? Pizza, pizza. I would think, I don't know. I mean, Denver's what? <laughs> Like, probably in the top 15 of teams that can do it next year if Russell Wilson gets it figured out, right? Shout out to a friend of the show and fellow employee here at Radio 1, Nathaniel Finch, who's a diehard Broncos fan. I know he's in the building. Nathaniel, I assure you, that was not me trying to take a shot at your Broncos. I was just stating the obvious. I apologize. Uh, Purdue and Rutgers tonight, though, is going to be an interesting game because, as Bruce Weber talked about, you do kind of like the way the style that Rutgers plays, right? And and what that might be able to do for Purdue and any challenge it might create for Purdue, but joining us now on the program, of course, you see him in virtually any college basketball game you're watching, especially if it's on the Fox families, including the Big Ten Network. Robbie Hummel, the former Purdue Boilermaker, joins us on the program. And Robbie, I'll begin with that. The Rutgers-Purdue matchup tonight, just kind of your perceptions of it, because clearly Purdue is the better team, but Rutgers does play a style, does it not, that might create some sort of a hiccup for the Boilers. Yeah, they've given Purdue plenty of problems over the last couple of years. And I think even if you watch the game back in January, uh, the turnovers force, which has kind of been when Purdue has played poorly this year, they've turned the ball over. That, that's something that, that Rutgers can do and does as well as anybody in the Big Ten. You know, they, they have guards that can get you off the bounce. Jeremiah Williams becoming eligible. You know, think of him as like a, a midseason acquisition in college basketball where he comes in and kind of changes the landscape of their team, eases the burden on Cliff Amore, but he, he can get to the basket. Jamichael Davis can get to the basket. You know, Derek Simpson can do the same. So they, they've got guys where you've got to really contain the bounce and contain the dribble. 
Um, and then they actually beat Purdue in the rebounding war. And that's something that you have not been able to say about many teams at all this year because Purdue's one of the best rebounding teams in all, all of the country. So they, they do provide some things that, that give Purdue problems. And it's going to be certainly a test to see how the Boilers bounce back here tonight after a tough loss at Columbus. Robbie, I'm going to ask you something that, that I have mentioned over the last couple of days. It's probably not an overly original thought, but I'm curious your thoughts on this, Robbie Hummel. With Purdue... And look, they've had a fabulous year. I mean, it goes without saying. Their resume is as good as anybody in college basketball. But heading down the home stretch here, if there are games that are grind-out games, how much does Purdue start actually battling against its own internal pressure and the whispers of the shortcoming from a year ago? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly got to be something that's thought about. Um, you know, I, I look at this as each, each season is its own entity. And even though a lot of these guys – Certainly went through that last year. Um, they've they've won 22 games. They've only lost three. Their resume speaks for the for itself in terms of the way I look at it. You know, they've beaten Tennessee, they've beaten Gonzaga, they've beaten Marquette, they've beaten Arizona, they, they've beaten some of the best teams in college basketball. Um, so I I don't think that they'll feel that. I think they're taking this one game at a time. Um, and when you've beaten people like that, it has to give you confidence. You know, I, I don't see how it couldn't when you've looked around the country and said, wow, outside of you know, UConn and maybe a few other teams, these, these are the best teams we could play. Uh, I'd, I'd throw Houston into that mix as well. But I, I, don't, I don't think they're going to feel that. I think that this is just one of those deals where this is a team that's won nine of their last ten games. And because of the way that everything is kind of set up now, whether it's because of Twitter or X, or whatever it's called now, uh, and social media, everything kind of gets, I guess, put under a magnifying glass even more so than when I played or, or before me. Um, but I, I do think that the season, even for the great teams, there, there are ebbs and flows. I, I don't think Purdue has played as well the last two weeks, and that's got to be a, a bit of a concern for Matt Painter, but they, they've still found ways to win in every game except for the Ohio State game. And you look around college basketball, and it's, it's just carnage on the road. And even though you, know, you look at UConn, they, Creighton is really good, but they, they go in there and get blasted by 20 points. So I, I don't think it's uncommon to see teams lose road games. Um, but I, I don't think that the pressure is something that they're necessarily feeling. I think they're a pretty confident group. Purdue great. And Fox Sports Big Ten Network analyst Robbie Hummel is our guest. Robbie, I want to stress this on the front end. I think that you have done a great job of – overcoming the challenge that a lot of analysts have which is being as impartial as possible and showing to the audience you're as impartial as possible especially when you're doing Purdue games I think you do a great job in that regard of just breaking the game down and being as we're all broadcasters here objective as possible that said I want you to take off that hat for a second and put on the Purdue hat itself because I know how much that program coach painter mean to you and we've been talking all year about how good this team is the expectations around them trying to right the wrongs from a year ago against Fairleigh Dickinson and this looking like one of the best teams that Matt Painter has ever had in terms of the chance to make a final four run when you look at that group do you believe that statement that this team is the most equipped in quite some time and maybe ever in his era I know your teams would make an argument on that too to make a deep run into March yeah, I, I do. And, you know, I want to be biased and say, no, my team would we, – we get these guys. <laughs> but I, I think we have a problem uh, with Zach Eady. I, I really do. I, I think this is probably 
his best team. Um, and certainly there's a couple matchups that would give this group problems. I, I think Etwan Moore would be tough for, for this team to defend with his size and just his ability to score the ball. Um, but, you know, Braden Smith is probably the best point guard. And I love Lewis Jackson, um, who I played with. But I think Braden is the best point guard that Coach Painter has, has had in his time in West Lafayette. And then Zach is just uh, – I don't know how you deal with them, but I, I do think that the addition of Lance Jones, the swagger he brings, the electricity that he plays with in transition, um, you know, that, that's a guy that, that changes kind of the way you look at this group of guards. Fletcher Lawyer is, I call them combustible, you know, earlier in the season because he gives Tennessee 27, he gives Arizona 27, but the last three games he just – He's looked a little bit lost offensively. You know, he's only taken five threes. He's not efficient from two. They've got to get him going again. That's a big part of, of when this group has really looked its best. I thought that Fletcher Lawyer had a lot to do with that. But, yeah, the, the point guard spot, I mean, Brayden Smith, the fact that he didn't make the koozie list, <laughs> the koozie list is terrible. You know, Mark Sears didn't make it either. I mean, I, I don't know how you leave either of those guys off. Um, Jameer Young certainly would have had a case from Maryland as well. But I, I think Braden, just his improvement, the fact that he's looking for his own offense and that opens up everything for whether it's their shooters on the perimeter or Edie diving to the rim, that pick-and-roll kind of facet to their offense is something they didn't have. You throw in Lance Jones playing with some transition, and then Edie has just gotten better and better. And I, I know he's dealt with some foul issues here over the last two weeks, and that's something he's got to has to stay out of foul trouble. And that's, that's something that he had done so well through, I would say, you know, mid or late January and it's kind of changed a little bit. But the way he runs, you know, the skill he shows, his agility, his conditioning, like those things are incredible. I've seen so many seven-foot players who totally suck. <laughs> they just they play because they're big. They're not good basketball players. And, and Zach is just so productive. So it's funny to me to hear there's legitimate people that cover college basketball who think he's just big. And I, I just, man, I laugh at that because I've – I've seen plenty of seven-footers, and, and I would say. Robbie Hummel's our guest. Robbie, by the way, you are on the call tonight for Purdue and Rutgers, true? Yes. Okay, so Robbie Hummel, you can watch him tonight with Purdue and Rutgers. Uh, I want to ask you before uh, we wrap it up here about what's going on in Indiana. I, when you look at Indiana, and you know, I don't know how much you got to see last night with, with Nebraska just, just overall, but um, their problem is what? Um, well, <laughs> they've, got, they've got a lot of problems right now. I, I don't think that their roster is constructed in a way that you can you know, really win at a high level, whether that's in college basketball or the Big Ten Conference currently. You know, their, their guard play is not good enough, and part of that is Xavier Johnson's injury has hurt. But I, I, you, know, you can look at the other side of that as he wasn't playing all that well when he was able to play, and I know he's been banged up and, and dealing with, with the, the foot. Uh, issue. I like Trey Galloway. I think last year's role for him was perfect. You know, he's the fourth or fifth option on the floor. He can guard. He, he can get to the rim. He plays incredibly hard. I'd take him on my team any day. But if you're asking him to be the best guard on the floor for Indiana, that, that's a problem. The lack of three-point shooting is is really eye-opening because I grew up in this state. You know, I, I understand that there are probably Every fan that's at the game at Assembly Hall is thinking, man, we, we could go find somebody at Bloomington South High School that could make a three <laughs> because I, I know that that's the mentality that people that live in the state of Indiana have, that everyone can shoot. 
So the, the lack of three-point shooting is is really really eye-opening. Defensively, I don't think that they're they're very good. You know, they've really regressed uh, from what they were two years ago. They, they, they have a lot of problems. But I think that their roster makeup is, is just poor. And you look at who they took in the portal this year, you get Mackenzie Mbaco late after he decommits from Duke. He's a 3-4. You bring in Khalil Ware, all right, really talented. He can stretch it, even though it's low volume. But you see how maybe with his skill he can play next to Renew. But then you get Peyton Sparks and Anthony Walker, and it's like, well, why, why aren't there any guards brought in? Um, you know, they, they must have really believed that, that Gabe Cubs could, could give backup minutes and that Xavier Johnson would return to what we saw two years ago. But I, I think that this is something that with the portal, the good news for Indiana is you can flip this quickly. But you're going to have to take a hard look, I think, if you're Mike Woodson, into how you're constructing your roster. They need a point guard, and they need skill on the floor. And it'll be interesting to see who's back, whether if, if Renew or Mbako. I think Khalil Ware is probably going to be a first-round pick, so he's probably gone. But you're going to have to really get some skill on the floor because right now it, it's, not, it's not acceptable for what Indiana's, I would say, tradition and, and history say that that basketball program is. You will hear that voice. You will see the face as well. Robbie Hummel tonight on the call for Purdue and Rutgers from Mackey Arena. Robbie, appreciate it. Travel safely, all right? No problem. Thanks, guys. Uh, Robbie Hummel from the Big Ten Network. Appreciate his time. Joe Hillman as well. Bruce Weber earlier today. A lot to talk about over the course of today. And, of course, Brian will be doing that, filling in for John until 6 o'clock today. Guys, um, James Boyd is in tomorrow. We are on our way to the Sphere to see you, too. So if I don't get vertigo, pardon the pun. Why would um, you go there to see us? (laughs) Very well played. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, have fun. And look. I'm we're obviously going to miss you being in studio, but I'm looking forward to me and James being able to talk about good basketball because we have two good teams playing tonight in Purdue and the Pacers. I thought you meant the Pistons and the Pacers. (laughs) We'll be going to that tonight, too. So if you see me there, uh, be sure and say hi. But guys, have fun tomorrow. And back on Monday, I'll try to bring back some snacks that Eddie can then bitch about when I bring them back from Vegas that they're not good enough. Does that work? Just bring him some. uh, What was it? The shrimp chips. The shrimp chips. That's (laughs) That's it. Yeah. Safe travels. And he's like, these are terrible. All right, uh, everybody have a great night, and they will talk to you at noon tomorrow. Brian is in next for JMV. You've been listening to 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.